Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. We are a people that want to transform the world. And I heard a preacher say not too long ago, there is nothing like the church when it's working right. There's not an organization in the world that changes lives for eternity like the church does. And the opposite is true too. There's nothing like the church when it's not working right, when it's dysfunctional, or when it hurts each other's feelings. There's no pain like the church pain. And there's no love and grace like church love and grace. And when, when we are working right as an organization to transform lives, there is nothing like the church. My grandfather, when he served in World War II, he served in the Pacific Theater. And um, during battle, when he was engaged with the enemy one time, his, he carried an M1 Grand. And uh, that was an 11 and a half pound rifle. It carried eight rounds and a bullet hit his rifle. He said he didn't think about it till later, but if that rifle hadn't have been there and exploded on him, he would have died because the bullet would have hit him instead. He went back to his command. He said, I need a new rifle. And they said, well, we got somebody else injured. Take his. And, and he exchanged his M1 Grand with an M1 carbine. He went from an 11 half pound rifle to a six and a half pound rifle that carried 20 rounds. He thought this was, this was great. And he went back and engaged the enemy. And he noticed as he fired each shot that a cloud of dust and sand would poof up in the ground way short of his enemy. He fired again. He raised the sights and fired again. And again, the bullet fell short. And he realized he had an ineffective rifle to engage the enemy. And he ran back. He switched it out for another M1 Grand and went back and he was a warrior. So he killed the enemy. As a church, we have to have effective equipment to engage the enemy in spiritual battle to make a difference in our community, in our family, and in our world. We have to have a church that puts on the full armor of God to be able to correctly engage in spiritual warfare everywhere we go. A couple of weeks ago, we started talking about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, and we've already talked about truth and righteousness and the gospel of peace. Today, we're going to discuss faith, salvation, the Word of God, and prayer as part of the full armor of God. There was an author that helped me discover that this armor of God wasn't necessarily talking about Roman armor, but it was talking about maybe the armor God said He uses in Isaiah when He says He puts on the breastplate of righteousness, and He's the one that gives salvation. And that author is Dr. Ian DeGuid, and he has a book called The Whole Armor of God. That book helped me a lot to see that Paul was referencing the Old Testament like he often did. So today, as we study Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, and learn how to put on effective equipment, the armor of God, spiritual armor of God, to effectively engage in spiritual warfare, we're going to study this passage and look at it and meditate on it and try to ingest it into our lives. I asked Kathy Smith and Vicki Temple of our Princess Ministry to read our passage of Scripture today. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Would you turn in your Bibles? to that chapter. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. might. Put on the 
hold, hold of armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wilds. wilds of the devil. For we do not wrestle, wrestle against full-ish flesh and blood, but against Principalities. Principalities. Against. 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 Powers. Powers. Against the race, race of the darkness of the age against spiritual horses host hosts of aged wickedness and the have Heavenly Ace. Therefore, take up the old armor of God that you may be able to with us withstand in the evil day and ha having done all to st and stand therefore having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all power and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I love how the, miss, the princess ministry feels connected with our church because they get to help read the scripture for our day. I love how as we are helping with them read the scripture, we get to meditate it on a little bit longer. We just don't rush through it. Can we give a round of applause to Kathy and Vicki for reading for us today? They did a great job. And uh, they read some profound words about being effective in spiritual warfare for us today, about the whole armor of God that we put on. And we're going to start today, because we've already done the first three, we're going to start today with faith, the last four. We're going to do faith, salvation, the Word of God, and prayer as the last form 
the last four of our spiritual armor, the armor of God that we put on. We're going to start with faith. Verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Yeah, this is, might seem like a weird question, and I, I want you to answer it as honestly as you can. Um, but I just want you to raise your hand. If you're online, you can share a story and type it in on the, the text box there. Raise your hand in this room if you've ever been uh, changed or transformed or something happened to you in the church that was good for your soul. That's an easy question. It was good for your soul. Raise your hand if that has ever happened in the community of believers with you. Okay, uh, uh, same, same thing in the opposite. There's nothing like the church when it works right. So raise your hand and tell some stories online, but don't be too specific. Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by somebody in the church and somebody has hurt your feelings or broken your heart because they're connected with the church. There's nothing like church pain. When the church is going wrong, there's nothing like the pain the church causes. And it, it happens sometimes. And this comes right down to who we put our faith in. Put on the helmet of salvation. Uh, put on the, 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 take up the shield of faith, excuse me. Now, this faith, this is really important. It's all about who we entrust ourselves to. See, we trust people. We trust the church. We trust, we, we do trust, and we trust as far as we can go. And that's good. We have to have a trust, re, trusting relationships. But we don't entrust our whole being to people because people are going to fail you. Your husband, your wife, your, your children, your friends, your workplace, your church, everybody who's people will eventually fail you. I will say or do something that will hurt your feelings someday, maybe even today. Maybe today's the day I get to hurt your feelings before you leave. People will fail, and so we trust people, but we're not surprised sometimes when they fail us, and that is supposed to be the love and grace we extend. But we entrust ourselves completely to God. When we entrust ourselves to God, He is the one who is faithful that actually never fails us. He is our shield of faith. Faith in the Scripture in this context is who we put our trust in. So we don't put our trust in our own faith because sometimes our own faith is weak. No, we put our trust into God who is our faith. In the Scripture, all through Scripture, God or Jesus is the proper person to put your faith into. In Genesis chapter 15, God tells Abraham, he says these words, he says, the, the Lord tells Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. In Proverbs 30, it says, God is a shield who takes refuge in him. God is our shield. He is the one we put our faith in. In that same chapter of, of Genesis in Abraham, when, he, when God tells him, I'm going to be your shield, you put your trust in me. Abraham asked the question. He said, well, how can I be sure this is true what you promised me? He said, God, I, I still don't have any children. You promised I was going to have lots of children. I still don't have children. How can I be sure that I am putting my, entrusting my faith into someone who is faithful, who is worthy? And God did this weird thing. He said, bring me a heifer, a ram, and a goat, a dove, and a pigeon. Now, this is weird to us, weird to us. If somebody says, hey, you want to you wanna agree? You want to shake on it? We make a promise. You know, you might even see somebody spit in each other's hand and, you know, some kind of agreement. It's kind of weird, but God did this weird thing. Bring me a, a heifer, a ram, a goat, a dove, and a pigeon. And Abraham did, and he cut those, uh, the heifer, the ram, and the goat in half and set them out for like a sacrificial ritual. Now, this seems weird to us, but in Abraham's day, this was exactly how it was done. If two kings got together to ha form a covenant 
an agreement that they would protect each other. They would bring these animals together. They would cut them in half and lay them out. And then each king would take a firebrand and they would go between the animals and set them on fire. And this was part of the agreement. It was kind of like a, a covenant agreement where they said, if I break the promise, then may it be done to me what's done to these animals. Cut in half and burned. Okay, that's a pretty powerful curse to put on yourself. Well, God called Abraham and he said, Abraham, you can trust me. And here's how you know you can trust me. I'm going to make this covenant with you. And Abraham brought these animals. He split them. And then Abraham fell into a sleep and he saw in the vision this fire come from heaven and go in between the animals, consuming them. You'll notice that it wasn't Abraham and God making the agreement. It was God alone who made the agreement that said, I will be faithful. One reason is he knew Abraham was going to fail. We all fail, but God is faithful. When we're called to put our trust into God and trust ourselves to His protection and goodness and grace, we know He is faithful and is always faithful even when we fail. I love how Paul in 2 Timothy, he said this is a trustworthy saying. That means you need to memorize it. You need to say it to yourself all the time. It says when we are faithless, He is faithful. He is the one who goes in front of us. He's the one who makes the covenant count. He's the one who keeps His promise. So how do we know we can put ourselves into the trust of Jesus Christ? How do we know that His promise is true, that He will defeat sin, He will defeat Satan, and the last thing He will defeat and show us that it's true is death, that He promises us eternal life? How do we know it's true? Because He alone, Jesus Christ alone, went to the cross in our place. He's the one who suffered the, the sorrow and pain of death because of sin. He alone commits His whole self into this promise. He is faithful. And so when we gather together and Paul says, we need to put on, take up the shield of faith to extinguish the fires of the, uh, the fiery arrows, fiery darts of the Satan, it's because we are entrusting ourselves to God, not to each other. We trust each other, we love each other, but we entrust ourselves to God. And so when Satan attacks us with his lies, and he can even use church members who hurt your feeling to get a root of bitterness to grow up inside of you, even when He does that, when we remember we've entrusted ourselves to the One who is faithful, it extinguishes those fiery darts. It kills that root of bitterness. And we start giving grace and love even to the people who have hurt us. One other thing about faith, and this is so important. Please, please, please don't fall for the lie that somebody might tell you that your faith was too small for God to act. Because it's not about the size of our faith. We can have faith as small as a mustard seed because it's not about how much we trust our faith, it's how much we trust the person we put our faith in. And God is completely trustworthy. So even the smallest faith is attached to the biggest God. And because He is the biggest God and the most powerful God of all, we can trust Him completely. So even if we have a small faith and we engage in just a small bit of trust, we are entrusting ourselves to someone who is worthy. Faith means that we trust that God promises, all the promises He makes to us in Christ will be true. And as long as we entrust ourselves to God, we have protection from the lies that Satan is going to throw at us to make us ineffective. Our bullets won't fall short and hit the sand. Our spiritual attack will be taken to the enemy because we have entrusted ourselves to Christ. 
And he says, take up the shield of faith. And then he says, put on the helmet of salvation. I'm so glad my grandfather didn't fight in World War I instead of World War II. Instead, he fought in World War II. In World War I, which began around 1914, I think if you historians are following me out there, they still thought the battles were going to be fought like Napoleon fought battles in 1814. A hundred years has passed, and they went into battle with leather helmets. They had never faced machine gun fire before. And they found out pretty quickly it only took about 200,000 deaths before they realized leather helmets don't work as well as metal helmets. And they traded up their leather helmets for metal helmets as they went into battle. Listen, when we go into battle and we are engaged in spiritual battle, we need to have the right helmet on, the helmet of salvation. And this goes back to who you entrust yourself to. Do you trust yourself that you're going to live up to the standards that you have set for yourself to always be honest and say the right thing and not hurt each other's feelings and, and, and keep the peace to the best? Do you trust yourself in that? And I would have to say no. Our salvation is also not based on our ability to keep faith and keep our promise. Our salvation is not based on how good we are. Our salvation is not based on the actions that we are able to uphold. It's not based on the promises that we make and keep. It's not even based on the promises that we've broken. Our salvation is based on one person's faithfulness, Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ was true and faithful, He became the promise we could trust. His blood sacrifice covers over all of our sins, and that's what saves us. When, when God created Adam and Eve, He gave them this responsibility, this real responsibility to go out, multiply on the earth, and have dominion over it, to rule in the place of God. And then Adam and Eve, they failed the test. They were given real responsibility, so that means they had real choice. And if you have real choice, whether to do good or to do bad, evil has the potential to happen. And Adam, the first man, failed the test. In Mark... In the Gospel of Mark, it's the only place that mentions this. When Jesus was baptized and then started His ministry, it said He went into the wilderness to be tempted. It's the only place in the Bible that mentions that Jesus was with the wild animals. Jesus became the new Adam in Adam's place. And when Jesus was tempted to choose either what God says or what the devil says, He chose to obey. He disregarded temptation. He remained pure and faithful. He became the new Adam. When Jesus was put in the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, He became the new Israel. Israel's God's people put in into temptation and they failed the test, but Jesus didn't fail the test. And when Jesus went to the cross as the perfect blood sacrifice for our sins because He had never failed to temptation, He had never done evil, He had never sinned, He was the perfect sacrifice to cover over all of our sins. So when we put on the correct helmet, the helmet of salvation, to engage the enemy, we're applying, we're remembering and applying the blood of Christ over our life, and He was faithful and true. So our salvation is based on Him and Him alone. Knowing that we have a God that will protect us that is always going to be true, and knowing that our salvation, our eternal life, is protected by someone who is always true, that enables us to be bold in our attack. And we're engaged in spiritual battle. And Paul now moves into the offensive weapons of the equipment that we have to engage in the spiritual battle. The Word of God and prayer. I love how verse 17 says, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
I like the illustrations the Bible used when it talks about the Word of God. Uh, one, of the wor- one of the illustrations it uses, Isaiah 55, it says the Word of God is kind of like rain. The rain comes down, it nourishes the plants before it goes back up to come down again. And it completes the nourishment. The Word of God goes out, it completes the will of God before it comes back. It doesn't return empty, but does what God has set out for it to do. The Word of God is like a fire. Jeremiah chapter 5 says... The Word of God is going to come out of His mouth and it's going to consume the people like wood. The Word of God is like a fire. And so in Revelation, when we read about the witness who spits fire out of their mouth and consumes the enemy, it's a direct connection to Jeremiah the prophet. The Word of God goes out and the Word of God destroys strongholds and defeats arguments and opens people's eyes to be able to see. The Word of God is our offensive weapon. It's also called the sword. In Isaiah, again, 49, he says, He makes my mouth like a sharpened sword. And we get this sharpened sword. It's double-edged. we got to be careful with it. And let me point out, I heard a preacher say this one time, and I love it. We don't use the sword to make our point. We use our sword to make a difference. And it's so much harder to use the sword to make a difference. That's why we got to be careful with it, but it's our offensive weapon to go make a difference into the realm of darkness by speaking truth and grace and love. And when truth and grace and love come, justice follows. We're a people after justice. All Christians are after justice because we love to see evil done away with and good rise up. We love to see evil punished for what it is and we love to see good rise up. We love to see evil punished when it's out there and it's the world evil being punished. We don't necessarily like to see when our own evil is punished. We want justice for everybody, but we don't want necessarily justice for us. And so we oftentimes, we make the mistake if we take this sword and we use it to make our point and we hurt people and we drive people away from Christ instead of using the sword to make a difference. Where when we speak grace and truth and justice, what is true, it burns away all the lies people are believing and it opens people's eyes to be able to see what God is doing in their life. And when we do it as together, oh, when we do it as a church together and we come together and we take the word of God everywhere we go, we become light in the community. We become salt that seasons the, the life uh, people are living that is devastating and without life and without hope. And we become the season that gives them hope and life because we're using the word of God to make a difference. I still remember several years ago, when the, when the churches get together, uh, and we don't do this en- enough, I don't think, but we had 11 churches gathered together and we went into a park and we remade the city park. And it was a park that was, uh, we knew drug deals happened in that park all the time. So we remade it for the city to use. We painted, we, we dug, we, we put in new equipment. And then after that, we had a vacation Bible school that met there for two weeks in the evening. And then following that, this is the craziest thing. There was a drug bust. 72 arrests were made in the in the apartments right next to that park. And I think we didn't have anything to do with the drug bust except we took the sword of the Spirit into the darkness and we made a difference. And that drove the darkness and evil and spiritual world Satan was thought he was thriving in back. That's what happens when we make a difference with the Word of God. And we do it by, making a by moving closer to people, by learning what is going on in their lives by speaking truth and love and grace. And that is how we start making a difference with the Word of God. This is our spiritual offensive maneuver. As we submit ourselves and trust ourselves more and more to Jesus Christ, 
and he takes over more and more of our body. We don't become mindless zombies. No, we find that we have life to the full that we have never had before, and we're able to start making a difference because we act and think and speak like Jesus Christ using the Word of God, which is like a fire, which is like a sword, which goes out and completes God's work and doesn't come back empty. This is powerful. God wants us to be effective in our spiritual battles. And everywhere where we are shooting short or falling short, God is able to propel us further than we think we can go. And then, and then He says in verse 18, We're not only going to have the sword of the Spirit, but we're also going to battle with prayer. Verse 18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There are four parts that he mentioned there. One is pray in the Spirit. Then he says, you got to do that with all types of prayers. And then he says, you have to uh, be alert. So situational awareness. And you have to pray for the Lord's people. Now, praying in the Spirit is not like I get the holy jitters and I shake around and I'm in the Spirit praying. No, what that means is I'm in the Word of God, I'm memorizing it, I'm meditating it, and I'm aligning myself with God's will. Now I'm in the Spirit. And that's where I pray because I'm aligned with God's will. That's where we need to be all the time. And then he says with all types of prayers, that means you can use written prayers and memorized prayers and spontaneous prayers. If you see someone traveling by, you see an accident happen, you have a spontaneous prayer. God help those people. If you see an ambulance go by, you, you pray for the EMTs and the first responders. When you see and find out that friends of yours are sick or, or maybe they're battling coronavirus, you pray right there. Don't, don't, don't hesitate. When somebody comes up to you, do this, do this, do this. When somebody comes up to you and says, would you pray for me because of whatever? Do it right there. Pray for that person right there. Yes, I'll pray for you. Let's pray. And then have a spontaneous prayer for what they've asked. Pray right there. This is an offensive weapon that drives back the darkness, that changes people's lives, that allows the spiritual forces of evil to be defeated. Jesus says the gates of hell will not stand against His church. And that means we're on the offensive move. It doesn't mean we just stand back and wait. No, we move into and engage the enemy give you an example, but I need a volunteer to come up on stage with me. It won't hurt, but it might embarrass you. Oh, I have a volunteer right back there. Emma, come on up. Emma, your hand shot up so fast. Are you not worried at all? You have no idea what I'm going to do to you. Emma and I are actually going to fight a little bit. (laughs) I said, we're going to fight a little bit. And some jerk over there said she might win. Okay. So so, uh, Emma, get in a fighting stance. Fighting stance. Now, Emma, you, you may not know this, but Emma takes karate in our dojo, and she actually is, <laughs> she actually is a pretty good fighter. Now, uh, just, for, just for this uh, illustration, there are two places I can stand in a fight. One is safer than the other. I'm going to give you the option. Okay, here is option number one, and here is option number two. Now, most people think, that right here at option number two, this is the safest place. But it's actually the most unsafe place I can be in hand-to-hand combat. Because right here, why is this unsafe, Emma? You didn't hear her, but she said, because right here, she can use all of her weapons against me. And where is the power of your weapon? Where is the end point power of your punch? 
Yeah, we get our hips, but where is the endpoint power? Where am I going to feel the pain from that the most? Look, her power is all connected at the length of her arm. But if I move in close, her power's out here where she can hurt me. And if I move in like this, we can actually work out our differences. I learned this from my sensei, Dow Tippett. When we're praying, we are called to engage, thank you for helping me, we are called to engage in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. But to do that, to pray effectively, we have to move in close. We have to find out what prayers Emma needs. We have to find out what prayers I need Emma to pray for me. We have to be in a relationship, and relationships have to be close like this. This is how most people treat church members. How are you doing? Fine, thanks. Okay, you, I'm fine. And then they go. But when you move in close, you find out what you need to pray for. This is effective relationship. This is effective prayer. This is effective spiritual battle. Everybody give a round of applause to Emma. Thank you. And I ain't joking. Don't mess with that girl. She is a powerful, strong fighter. And she's most of the time sweet, but when she fights, she is mean. Whew. She's mean. She's mean, but she is a good, she is a great student of ours. Listen, we're called. We're called into battle. We're called into spiritual battle. Paul says you got to be effective in this battle. Put on the whole armor of God. Don't leave a piece out. And then he says, you got to take the battle to the enemy. To do that, we have to engage in each other's messy lives. This is the worst part of being a Christian, is we got to engage in each other's lives and and walk right into the mess. You got to have those conversations. You got to start making a difference with the word, not just a point. You got to start praying for what real needs they have so you can really see God work in their lives. And when you do that, your faith is bolstered, your salvation is assured, your truth that you've wrapped your whole life around uh, just starts responding and resounding in ways that you can't imagine. And your own righteousness improves, the breastplate of righteousness. Your own righteousness goes up as you get connected with what God is going to do with you and in your community and in your family and in your church. There is nothing like the church when it works well. But we got to engage spiritually to work well. There's nothing like the church when it works well, but that means we got to move into each other's mess to work well. There's nothing like the church when it works well, but that means we got to put on the whole armor of God to work well. God has given us God has given us some reminders so that we can remain effective. You know, he's given us the scripture. This tells us who he is and what he's about, and this can transform our thoughts and minds. It becomes the the sword we use in battle. He's given us the church. That's why it's so important to keep gathering together. That's why it's so uh, we're so thankful that God has allowed some of us to engage online with our church and they have kept gathering with us even though they haven't been physically present. They have been with us. And online they've been held accountable and they've been encouraged and they've continued to learn the Scripture and they are praying for us online. That's why online gathering is so important that it's so valuable. And it's also why... It's so valuable to gather together as the church physically because it's so much easier to engage in the spiritual battle and pray for one another and actually get close to one another when we physically meet together. It's so important. God has given us this physical gathering to remind us who we are and what our jobs are. He's given us this reminder of baptism that shows when we made the pledge of allegiance to the Lord's army, It gives us a date where we can look back and say, this is when I committed myself 
wholeheartedly with all my life into Jesus where we are buried with Him in death and raised by faith to a new life. We're saved by grace. This is Scripture. This is Scripture words. We're saved by grace through faith in baptism. Peter says, we are baptized for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the moment where we pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ, where we've joined His army. And He's also given us the reminder of communion. Communion reminds us of the pledge we made. Communion reminds us of the salvation we have. Communion reminds us of who we are putting our faith in, the one who is faithful. Would you get your communion out? And would you use it this morning as we gather together to not only encourage you, but to remind you of who you are connected to, your, your faith, who you have faith in, not the amount of faith you have, but who you have faith in. Would you take out the bread? And if you're at home, would you take out the bread? This bread is the body of Christ. It reminds us that He went to the cross. He made the sacrifice. He promised to remain faithful. And He is faithful and true. Would you participate in the body? And open the cup. This is the cup of the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. When we participate in the cup, we are reminded of the sacrifice He made and spiritually His blood covers over all of our sins. It reminds us that we have salvation in Jesus, not in ourselves. Would you participate in the cup? Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for the response You give us to Your Word by participating in communion. I'm so thankful that we respond with the very first thing we do after we hear Your Word is to go and remind ourselves of Jesus and to put ourselves, again, remind ourselves of the grace we have in Jesus and again, to put ourselves under the authority of Jesus. Thank You for that weekly reminder You've given us. Lord, allow that reminder to propel us back into our families, back into work, back into school, back into where our friends are. And we would be bold to speak the stories of Jesus Christ that are so true, that are life-changing. That we would be bold to take the battle to the enemy by speaking truth and grace to make a difference. To be bold to engage the enemy with faithful prayer and to pray at all occasions with all kinds of prayers as we engage in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy just by learning about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we trust that You would take our spiritual battle as far as we can take it and then You take it further because You are the powerful one and You are the victor. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org donate.